I would begin with saying that I'm a fan of mainstream media. Mm -hmm. uh, I'm a journalist myself and I trust in media. Why? Because they know how to deal with information. They have their check and balances. I know it's not just uh, one journalist produces uh, some piece of news. I know there is an editor who probably went through that. If they had time, probably there was also uh, a, ch a fact checker involved. So there are a lot of stages. They check the information. I know most pro like in most cases, nothing that is not uh, proved for now won't mm -hmm. be published. So I follow uh, uh, mainstream media. Then, of course, journalists who work there. Now you can see that a lot of them work in Ukraine. Mm -hmm. A lot of them work uh, in Poland, in Hungary, on the border where refugees come. Come to uh, maybe some stay in touch with people in Ukraine and so on. So journalists. Uh, next, of course, I also follow Ukrainian media. Mm -hmm. This is the first source of information for me because still here media that can have different focuses. Yeah. Like they speak about Ukraine a lot, but sometimes they talk about something else, which makes sense. Uh, so I follow Ukraine media, uh, yes. And now what I observe now, a lot of my colleagues in Ukraine, they uh, started produce news in English. Mm -hmm. So uh, please free to follow them. This is lb.ua. This is Babel, uh, it's B-A-B-E-L uh, dot, I guess, U-A. Mm -hmm. uh, then, as you mentioned, Kiev Independent, uh, very cool. Then, uh, uh, and V-U-A, and V dot U-A, uh, and I think a few others. So there are a lot of Ukrainian journalists uh, writing in English, and most of my colleagues, they're still in Kyiv. They are, yes, they are, in, they are working in the field. How do, uh, that's how you call it. Yes. Uh, they, they tweet a lot on Twitter. You can follow them, as you mentioned. Some of them my, are my friends. I know them. Uh, that's what you can do. Then uh, also, but please don't follow people if you don't know them. Make sure it's a trusted source. Yeah. Uh, I know for now what what I feel everyone is an expert on Ukraine mm -hmm. uh, half a year ago everyone was an expert on Afghanistan mm -hmm. most probably people didn't know where it was on the map yeah. but then they turned into uh, experts the same with YouTube I am very skeptical about YouTube no offense Nathan but no, yeah uh, hey I, I YouTube is just one of the many sources I, I get it it's <laughs> what, what I see that most of the people on YouTube, they are not actual reporters. What yeah. they do, they read news, they read pieces published again on in mainstream media, and mm -hmm. then they just discuss it. So again, yesterday they discuss Afghanistan, COVID. Today they discuss Ukraine, yeah. and sometimes they sometimes they say like something that doesn't connect at all. So. Uh, I can't recommend, at least me, I am not watching independent YouTubers. Yeah. Uh, maybe some. Maybe you like some of them, but it's not that I prefer. So I like, that's what you mentioned, I like actual reporting. I like seeing yeah. a person is there on the ground and them know what's going on. It's not like just reading someone, he said, she sa he said, she said, and that's, no. Mm -hmm. I want to see people's vo voices. I know, I want to know what's going on. I don't. I don't want your opinion. I can make my opinion myself if yeah. I know what the facts are. It is 
so telling, right? In in terms of just where where a where where an entire nation can value media and how they can value media. Because your your position seems like it is one very much replicated throughout Ukraine, as we have just seen what what the societal response has been to war, right? And and how, right, where where America has spent the past 10 years floundering in an information war that has just seen it poisoned in different ways repeatedly with self-interest being at the core of people's media consumption. It seems very different when you say, my interest is solely in the story and I will develop my opinion from there. There are a lot of people who have their own interests and they want to tell us, they want to tell you what to think. That's some of them are get paid. Some of them are get paid by politicians. Mm -hmm. And that's why I think sometimes you better not do that. Don't allow them to tell you what to think. Yeah. Make your own opinion of what you see. Well, and it's, it's a very, that's a very powerful position to be able to take when, right, part of the fight that you're fighting has been against a global, what we thought was superpower up until seven days ago when, anyway. Yeah. Um, uh, but the, the, the value in the, in the honesty of information in the face of, uh, you know, a, a institution that has challenged the rest of the world with disinformation, right? That that is, that that is simply a, a Russian state. And I, and I, and I want to be very like careful in the way that I talk because this, this is very clearly not a war of the Russian people, right? That this is a war of a single person within a very, you know, condensed institution. Yes and no, to be honest. Okay. Uh, if you follow recent polls, 50, I, I don't know how those polls are trusted because yeah. Russia is a dictatorship. Yeah. But from that, what I saw, 53% of Russians supported invasion. Mm -hmm. Yes and no. It's Yeah, it was his decision. I believe it was Putin's decision alone. Most probably, uh, I believe some people in his inner circle didn't support that. Mm -hmm. I mean, <laughs> I believe they knew where would it go for them. But maybe it was his decision. But the thing is, a lot of Russians support him. I studied in Moscow. Mm -hmm. I have a lot of friends. I have relatives. My family lives. My father's fam my father and his family lives there, and you know what? Most of them don't care or even support Putin. And like sometimes I get not very nice messages from them. Like, mm -hmm. and what I saw on social media. Oh, you are right. Russia invests a lot, of, a lot, a lot in propaganda, but. Sometimes I just go and check accounts and see those are real people. Yeah. Those are real people writing to me, writing to Ukrainians, you deserve this. You fucking bitches, die. You deserve this. You deserve, deserve to be killed. You are, that's, you, are, you are calling us Nazis. That's Russian propaganda saying, you Nazis deserve to be killed. Mm -hmm. Real people. So I still hope, I, I, st I, I prefer to hope that there will be some uprisings 
more protests inside Russia, but make no mistake, mm -hmm. some people, maybe a lot of people, support Putin. And I believe they also should be responsible for what is going on. There were elections in Russia. They were, they were not really transparent. But I know that a lot of people supported Putin. A lot of people, uh, people voted for him. And I think they should be responsible. They created this monster. Some people created by, by voting for him. And others created this monster by uh, choosing to be, in sil to be silenced. Uh, a lot of my friends, and I, you know what? It's interesting. I studied in the best school in Russia. It's called Moscow State University. Mm -hmm. And do you expect that people there are, are kind of intelligence, mm -hmm. uh, elites, as people like saying it here? They mm -hmm. are elite of the uh, in Russia. Most of them, most my most of my friends, they told me, oh, "It's politics. I don't want to be involved. No, just I'm not going to protest. Uh, it's war, but I mean, it's not my business." If people who are who are supposed to be uh, elites, who are supposed to be like the best among other people, they don't care. They prefer to be silent. They prefer not to speak out, and they didn't try to change the regime when it was possible, when it just started. If they didn't change change uh, the country, who can? And I will stand very well corrected. I mean, that's a very it's a very lived experience to know where societal apathy lies with folks and they're just lack of care. I don't want, you know, to blame here the whole nation, the whole Russian nation. As a journalist, again, I totally understand the power of propaganda. Yeah. And I think the Western world uh, didn't understand it till recently. Mm -hmm. Only now they tried to deal with that. But Russian propaganda is very powerful. I also see it uh, on American social media. I saw how some people spread that, uh, that messages, those messages that I can hear on Russian TV. Mm -hmm. It's very powerful. And again, Russia is a poor country. Yes, because it invests a lot in the army, in nuclear weapons, in power, but it doesn't invest a lot in people. And some people are just poor. They live in a very distant area without internet connection, without having any access to independent information. Mm -hmm. So, of course, a lot of people, what can do, they can just watch TV. Mm -hmm. It's true. So a lot of them are under this impression, under this influence of Russian propaganda. But again, a lot of people my age, they had access to social media, but they prefer to stay to stay apart, to say, it's not our deal. I mean, so if you, if you don't want to change your country, mm -hmm. who are supposed to? That is a point of entry for a special podcast. I wanted episode 100 to be a special podcast. I thought it was going to look differently than this, but um, this is... I think very important episode 100 of the WTF Carbondale podcast, where we talk to interesting people about their interesting lives and tie it all back to this little old place we call home, Carbondale, Illinois. And this is where I mispronounce Deanna Butskos. Perfect. If not perfect, close enough. <laughs> as I am horrible with any and all names as possible. That's I, but I, I appreciate, um, you taking the time to to come in and and really and really give a a 
a learned and capable perspective um, on the war against Ukraine right now um, and being comfortable having this very exploratory and pertinent conversation. Um, I, it's, I mean, it's just, a, it's a heck of a jump from Moscow state to Southern Illinois university, but why, why, I mean, what brought you to Carbondale? Like what was the story that, that led up to this point? Yeah. So I worked as, in, I worked as a political reporter and then I realized that I need to study politics better. Uh, I was thinking about going abroad and study abroad. Uh, and I applied for Fulbright Scholarship, which is a scholarship from the State Department. Uh, and when I was choosing a school, I looked into schools that, co that cover Ukraine, uh, where you have professors uh, research in Ukraine and uh, S uh, SAU is one of that. Mm -hmm. We have three professors actually who uh, who work on research uh, on Ukraine. Uh, two of them actually have been to Ukraine. So I think it's a very nice place yeah. if you want to research Ukraine. Actually, it's Carmodel. Right? <laughs> of all the places. <laughs> Definitely. Um, so what, I mean, was was there an was there an interest in in bringing in bringing Ukraine closer to Carbondale specifically, like not just the value that you could necessarily draw from the institution and the place for yourself, but the 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 value that you could commit to uh, here as well. I mean, is that something that was of interest? I mean, as a Ukrainian, as a journalist, I always hope for that. I am. Um, I would like to be an ambassador of my country wherever I go, and mm -hmm. I'm happy to be an ambassador of Ukraine. Please forgive me, our ambassador in the sea, but uh, I'm glad to be an ambassador of Ukraine here and spread the word. I think it's also kind of an important mission, mission because people in rural areas, they usually may know less about the world outside, and mm -hmm. not only here, but also in my country, I think yeah. in most of the countries. So I think it's an interesting experience that you go to a small rural community and spread the word and share your experience, your values, you compare how is it in your country, how is it here. So yeah. I hope I can do some good stuff also awesome. here. I'm going to take two seconds just to bring your mic up. Yeah, I was, I was going to ask yeah. you about <laughs> no, that. No, 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 it's not your fault. I, I've got expensive microphones on cheap stands. Oh. And so <laughs> the... Do you want me to hold it? No, 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 no. It's it's good. It just uh, this wasn't tight enough, so actually keeping it from, oh, from falling okay. down uh, and just staying closer for you. So that makes. Do you want me to repeat that? No, you're great. No, you're great. Yeah, I, it, it's catching the audio um, well. I just want to make sure that yes. it doesn't fall down over time because like I just at some point in time we'll be thirty minutes in the conversation and go. That's fine. <laughs> My apologies. Um, but the um, yeah no I mean well and it's. SIU specifically, uh, in, in the idea of, um, you know, engaging in the rural identity, right? In a, in, in that SIU for, for many years saw the rural space of Southern Illinois as a, as a workshop mm -hmm. to, you know, directly engage, uh, in the humanity of, of smaller, uh, you know, population living. Right. Uh, and and 
just how that that kind of plays back into you know a reality that isn't just something uniquely american right that like rural existence is something that is a global existence there are plenty you know there are many places around the world that are uh you know urbanized but there are many more places around the world where it's just this small little old place with <laughs> some people yeah, yeah I, I agree with you rural america at least from that what i observed here is very industrialized in compare comparing to that countries that i've been to uh in, in europe uh most a lot of people they usually do farming like private farming all of them have some animals mm -hmm. uh and here it's like it's like a town <laughs> so <laughs> i expected it would be more like a village uh -huh. uh, a far more farmers and so on but it's like a town life life is going on it's it interesting definitely well and, and i think here specifically in southern illinois it's because you've got the the economic travel center so like siu being a place where people can come from um you know miles around to work here and then take uh you know a living back into smaller smaller hometowns and and communities um yeah i can see where where that may be you know some some difference about our particular rural space than than others the um i mean my you know the the explanation of the ukrainian colors is such a beautiful one right and, and i just, totally agree <laughs> is that something that you just uh look at and you and you think and that's something that kind of guides your interest in that in that rural identity is the idea of the blue skies over fields of wheat uh you mean our flag yes yeah so what our flag means yellow uh it's down below it's uh the field of it's fields of weeds, uh, and the blue one is sky. Is the sky is our sky, and Ukraine produces a lot of wheat. Mm -hmm. uh, we ex we export a lot of that. Yes, yeah, so it's very Ukrainian wheat far farming, and <laughs> it's just a a thing, a big a big yeah. part of identity. Yeah, as a as a whole. How did you get into just the, the journalism work overall, you talked about radio station and some other activity. Is this something that, that since you were of working age, you've been interested in, in pursuing and being involved in? Like, is there a, is there an origin story in, in all of the interest of, of media? Uh, I think I had the same experience as most journalists, at least my colleagues did. Mm -hmm. When I was a child, when I was a teenager, uh, I believed in this idea I, uh, of changing the world. I was very romantic. I was thinking, here you are, you can just fight corruption through your stories. You can go to the war, though, to, to, to the war zone and write about sufferings. Uh, I was kind of a kiddo who wanted to change the world, yeah. but I also liked writing and I wanted to combine combine both of the stuff. Uh, and journalism looked pretty looked pretty good for me. Something that I something that I would suit that that what I thought about. But then of course I saw the world, uh, and I realized sometimes, I mean you can't change everything, but you can just. Uh, make small steps an article by article and trying to do something but I always have I always had this idea of journalism as something bright and something that 
impact uh, something that impacts the world. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's it's the <clears throat> the power of story. Yeah. Uh, is that is that something that has just come natural to you? I mean, to a to a generation of of peers and colleagues. Um, you know, I mean, there are you know there are there are folks that 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 understand the power of story and there, there are some folks that just let the story go by. Mm, yeah. Um, and it just seems like you, you may have, uh, you know, folks in your life that, that have inspired, Hey, don't, don't just let the story go by. <laughs> I think being a reporter is also a talent. I mean, seeing small details, see, seeing small things, seeing people's stories. And what I can tell about myself, I definitely was the one and I'm still. So when people tell me something, I'm just, my first th- thought is usually, it should be in the story. It's such a great story. Yeah. I should write about that. Can you give me a phone number? Uh, and yeah, I'm thinking that way. And and I don't know, maybe I was born that way or something, but um, I think I agree with you. Story is powerful, but I also like listening to people, and mm-hmm. I think it's another very important feature that uh, every reporter should have uh, to listen listen to people, to people's stories. Uh, and when I was growing up, I saw a lot of people. Uh, I heard to a lot of stories. I have a big uh, a big family with sometimes with tragic. Uh, tragic lives yeah. and I was always I always wanted to write about them uh, so I like I like talking to people actually and I like uh, talking to people but also helping them I think it's telling their story sometimes it's the best way to spread the word does that does that help make the task that you've kind of set out for yourself now feel a little bit more approachable. I mean, that, that you, you know, as, as we said kind of early on in, in the conversation, you know, maybe, maybe a year or so ago, you had thought that you were going to be, uh, you know, a, a kind, very kind of one-to-one, what relationships you could develop, you could in those relationships be an ambassador for, your nation just by developing personal relationships by virtue of having to go all the way across the world and be in a place where you've got to make all new relationships. But now it's taking on more as you go out there and look to represent your country in wartime to a foreign audience um, that are going to have a lot of questions. So being comfortable and in, in engaging in that conversation and, and how taking an interest in their story is going to help you bridge your own story and, and tell the story of your, your people as it becomes something that people want to, to contextualize and want to localize throughout the world, really. Yeah, definitely. So I think people get attached to something to news in general mm-hmm. when they see someone who is impacted I- impacted by that yeah so if there is a, a war anywhere is going on somewhere there like where is that what's going on right there are, we have i think uh, dozens of wars right now uh, 
but I think it's different when people see here is the person and it it knows what's going on and it was affected by that. Uh, I mean, a, a person was affected by that. Uh, so I got that and I told myself I want to tell people what's going on. I want to tell, again, stories uh, of my friends and relatives. I, ju I don't want just to talk about politics because you can go to DC for that. <laughs> I want to tell about people. What, what is that saying again? Because that's the second time you've said it. I need to better understand it. Uh, I mean, if you want to get involved in the politics, uh -huh. you can turn to DC, to news from DC. But I want to tell people what's going on with my friends and relatives in Ukraine. Mm -hmm. Not only facts, there are a lot of facts there, but stories of ordinary people yeah. and their opinions, their voices, I think they are important right now. Um, again, a lot of journalists, they already uh, left Kyiv. They, uh, I saw, that's what I saw, saw in news. Some of them are outside the country right now which because it's getting more and more dangerous. Mm -hmm. And I have a lot of people still there, and I would like to tell you, to tell people in Carbondale what they tell me. Yeah. And I'm in touch with them every day, and they tell. Sometimes they tell me phrases, sentences that really, that really touch me, and I just I can't let them die in a chat in our chat. I want to share them. Yeah. That's an incredibly powerful thing. I mean, and, and what, what it means to, to tell this story in real time, right? And, and what, in a world where it feels like so much media is disposable, right? That it's just, it's there and then it's gone and what, what does it matter, right? Where, where story after story gets lost, right? That, that, Finding finding some kind of permanence for those stories, um, that's that's a very strong. It's a very strong idea. I would like to tell people that war it's not politics. It's not just politics. The war is people behind that. The war is a lot of people's fates behind behind that. A lot of people who who don't know what to do with their lives right now so yesterday a friend of my mine she has two beautiful twins boys they are a year i think so and they just fled they just left kiev it's getting not safe there and yesterday she started messaging me she told me i'm crying and she couldn't stop crying in hours and she told me i don't have my life anymore i don't i don't know what to do next i don't have an apartment now she's staying with her friends i don't know an apartment i don't have an apartment i don't have a job anymore i don't want to leave the country because men are not allowed to leave mm -hmm. and i pro i told myself i would never uh, allow my my boys to grow up without his father. I don't want to leave. 
and then she told me, I don't want them growing up without me. I asked her, what do you mean? What if I die? They won't remember me because they're so little. And that's a story behind the war. A, a lot of people, they just, they are, a week ago they had their lives. They had normal lives, like people here in Carbondale. They just went to restaurants, they went to do their jobs, they had plans. They had tickets to theaters, to concerts. Now, 90% of them have nothing. And they have no future at this moment. They don't know what will happen next. And I, I can't imagine what they're go going through, but I just want to tell people there are a lot, a lot of stories behind the war. Actually, 40 million, 40 millions Ukrainians in Ukraine and 40 millions of stories. What are you losing in all of this? What I'm losing? I'm losing my country and it's very strong and I hope it keeps fighting. I hope it wins. But have you seen the news? Have you seen a lot of buildings, a lot of apartments destroyed around the country? A lot of beautiful buildings. I said today during the rally, a lot of buildings turned into ashes. And when I come back to Ukraine, I don't know how many of them will be left. If any, I don't know if I will have my apartment still there back in Kiev, if it will be there, if I will have a place to come back. I don't know who, or whom of my friends survived this. I don't know whom I will be able to hug again. I don't know my family members, if they will, will still be there, if I will be able to hug them, to talk to them. And actually, I'm asking this question myself every evening. I don't know if they will survive tomorrow, if they will survive this night. They will be there for me, for talk, to, talk to me tomorrow. Uh, I think I haven't lost anything this at this particular moment, but I don't know what I will have tomorrow. I don't know whom I will have tomorrow. And I just mentioned it a minute ago, I don't have if I have the future, and I don't know how this future would be. And to be honest, I just don't, I don't know what to think. I don't know what to think right now about the world, life, life of my people, my life, and the world in general. While you are processing this, <laughs> I would like to make a message to people in Carbondale. Uh, please enjoy, enjoy your peace and enjoy your democracy. I think we Ukrainians didn't really also, we haven't, we didn't get it until eight days ago, but peace and democracy, it's something very important. As I mentioned, the opportunity just to go to a restaurant and have dinner it's sometimes it's a big it's a big thing and also i read polls they say that americans they and they don't appreciate democracy as much as they did 
20 years ago just because they learn to live. They, they think it has been always there and it will be always there. Mm-hmm. Because there's the war generation, they knew you could lose it. But the current generation, it, it doesn't know. You enjoy, you know, if you have something, if, you always, it's, if it's always there, you think it will be like that. And you, it, it doesn't come to your mind that you could lose it, that you can lose it. But democracy is something very, very important that you need to appreciate. So I would like to people living, I would like to tell people living here, please appreciate every moment in your life. Because eight days ago, my country was a peaceful, a very beautiful country. Now it's not, because there is a crazy guy who wants to get what he wants. Uh, Appreciate this and enjoy every moment of your life. What, What is your experience with the concept of democracy and and freedom and and this idea of of liberty that that Americans toss around very casually right um that it is used in all directions all too often with a very hollow ring to it um you know I think as you said with with I won't say no sacrifice. I will say limited sacrifice, a different kind of sacrifice than what may have been had 80 years ago, 100 years ago, 250 years ago, so on. Um, But, I mean, you know, again, the way that, that we view these things is not the way that every society around the world views views these things. You know, how how is your... You know, upbringing and, and life to the, to mm-hmm. this point kind of shaped your understanding of, of these things, and you know, very much up into and including the last eight days. Ukraine uh, is much younger than the USA is. I mean, the current country because we have our history going back to one thousand uh, years back, uh, but current. Uh, situation. So Ukraine proclaimed independence just 30 years ago when the USSR collapsed, mm-hmm. and it wasn't. Mm, it, it wasn't just. It, it wasn't easy. It wasn't just we got our independence and here we are. No, mm-hmm. I think it's like American history. You had to fight for your values, for for democracy and america also democratized through centuries i mean democracy you have now it was different when mm-hmm. founding f- the founded father fathers established the country mm-hmm. uh, the same with us so it has been just 30 years but during this period we had two presidents who tried to corrupt the power and to destroy democracies and every time we went out to the streets and we fought for our democracies. That's why we are fighting now. That's why we are tough. We know that that, that democracy has a value, that democracy has a price. And we are ready we are ready to pay that that price because for us Ukrainians democracy uh, freedoms freedoms itself has a very important meaning. Something 
I think one of the most important. That's why that's how and why we are different from Russians. I think for now they haven't got this import this meaning. They don't understand why they need to fight for democracy. We definitely do. We definitely do, and um, we will never give up. And that what Putin hates about us. He see that we are free people. We are people of a free country, and we will never have a puppet president uh, appointed by Vladimir Putin. Uh, we will never allow, allow this to happen. Even if he conquers our territory, he will never con conquer our hearts, our souls, uh, and Ukrainian democracy itself. He can, he can bring any anyone he wants and in Kyiv and say he's your president. It's not, uh, it's not going to happen. We will never accept that person. We will fight. So I, I, sometimes I'm telling myself these days I'm telling myself even if Kyiv fails. Our capital fails now. We will come back. Definitely, there will be guerrilla guerrilla war. We will fight, and we will have our president back because current president Volodymyr Zelensky, he's a democratically elect elected leader. We, I think, I think actually that's why we are fighting so tough because most like my parents my 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 relatives they went through this state through different stages mm -hmm. we saw we start when we started losing democracy they got why we need to fight for that and they still keep fighting because they saw these different perspectives they saw when ukraine was semi-independent some mm -hmm. semi-democracy uh, and they saw this period when we became finally uh, a democracy and they know what they're fighting for and that's yes that's what i mentioned when people live in a prosperous world when they live in a democracy they kind of think they just start they they're starting losing the point and the importance but i just hope there will be no democracies failing in the world more i think i really hope that each democracy that we have right now will be prosperous, whatever, whatever, what, and Putin or any other crazy dictator won't destroy democracies anymore. This is phenomenal. Ah, oh, gosh, sorry. <laughs> Gather my composure. <laughs> um, on a, on a lighter subject, um, that's yeah, uh, uh, that that really it helps to contextualize it so so much, right? That the generation that is now is the generation you know, and and covering multiple generations, the folks that exist now are the folks that have had to work through the process, and they didn't just do all this work for nothing. <laughs> yes right, right you don't you don't put it and it's not about this idea of, of an individual job or you know a, a profession or or whatever else but this was a an entire an entire society an entire uh nation's lift itself to be self-guided um you know and that that yeah, that clicks. That makes sense. Um, the the lighter subject, the some of the guidance around how people are because people are now digesting a lot of media that you know, like like we said, uh, you know, Americans couldn't really 
navigate to most countries that aren't the United States on a map, but we struggle getting to our own states a couple states over, right? I know where Missouri and Indiana are, but that's because they're neighbors. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, so a question that I have for you that, that is going to sound very, very simple, very silly, but I also want to know if I'm, if I'm kind of trending the right direction. When I, when I read something and it's described as an oblast, and if I'm pronouncing it incorrectly, yes. it, um, is that like a county would be here? At no, it's more like a state. More like a state? Okay. Mm -hmm. You can talk as I'm correcting this camera that I just smacked yeah, with my so hand. You're Oblast, uh, I would say the correct translation, the more correct, is uh, like region. Because uh, the United States is a federation. Uh -huh. uh, Ukraine is a unitary state. It means that regions, uh, regions have more rights and more freedoms. It's more centralized. Okay. So when you say states, I mean, it sounds like something more independent, yeah. having more rights, more opportunities. Uh, and I mean, that's American idea itself. But Ukraine, as it is more centralized, so it has different regions. Yes, but comparing, if you compare to America, American geography, oblast is state, okay. and, th and then we have rayon, which is, I guess, a little bit difficult to pronounce. Uh -huh. It's more, it's county. It's more like a county. Gotcha. And then from there, the actual, the, you know, what would be the federal, the, the full territory of, of Ukraine. Is that... <sighs> Is that is that structure where where there is um, uh, where there is kind of more more autonomy at that at that old and again I'm I'm just gonna say them and I'll I'll mess them up as I go along. The, <laughs> no, you're the, doing very good. Th thank you, I appreciate that. Um, I, I just ever since reading a tweet on the correct pronunciation of Kiev, I've understand I've under I've started to understand language as a tool in this whole yes. um, you know of activity that that the that the closeness of Russia and Ukraine uh, linguistically matters in how we talk about Ukraine um, and how we, we just refer to things because it could be more of a Russian translation, which in this case would be less appropriate, or it can be closer to a Ukrainian translation and pronunciation, uh, you know, which is in itself just basic support of language uh, for folks. Is that, yeah. is that am, I, am I interpreting that even close <laughs> to, to how I need to? No, no, I think you are totally right. Uh, now, there is an ongoing war going in different spheres. One is going like military war, the other is informational war. Mm -hmm. And here is, I, would, I don't know how to call it, maybe brand war, war yeah. of branding. Yeah. That's very important. And when Russia invaded Ukraine, I noticed that a lot of American media like all of them, they finally changed the pronunciation mm -hmm. because previously it was more common that people used Ki Kiev. Mm -hmm. It's Russian. That's yeah. how you say, uh, that's how you name Ukrainian capital in Russian, Kiev. Mm -hmm. But if you are, if you're talking, if you're speaking in Ukrainian language, it is Kiev, which may be difficult to pronounce. I get it. <laughs> you don't have such sounds. Uh, and then also the finally they changed the spelling. Uh, mm -hmm. And it's important for us 
the same with have you heard this thing about Ukraine and the Ukraine? Yes. Oh yeah, absolutely. The same. Uh, the the Ukraine. That's how the Soviet Union tried to name our country. Like when the Soviet Union existed, mm -hmm. they wanted to kind of show that Ukraine is not really a country, not really independent. So it's like the Ukraine, like the region. Mm -hmm. uh, and now our Ministry of Foreign Affairs, like State Department here, they did a lot of work to, pr to promote this, that we are Ukraine, not mm -hmm. the Ukraine. And a lot of things now become about politics. Yes, you're totally right. Mm -hmm. Well, and I, I just, you know, that's one of the things that is a, as a media maker, right, has intrigued me very much. So is that, is that, you know, one of the, one of the, you know, uh, false arguments that Putin has made is, is in relation to Ukrainian identity, right? Yes. And how, and how this immediate just snap of, of, of everybody, right, just, from you know, from you know, common citizens on the ground all the way up to the president and everybody in between, has a sense of how they are supposed to communicate, what they are supposed to communicate, uh, and the value of what they are communicating, right? And in a way that that I don't think uh, any any other country or culture around the world really gets. Like this is a this is a masterclass in communication. Um, yes, it's it's quite. Just for, sorry, go go ahead. It's just very impressive. Yes, and Putin hates this idea that Ukrainians uh, are a different nation. Mm -hmm. I think he has this uh, Soviet way of thinking. That's mm -hmm. how a lot of people thought back then. Uh, like we are one nation, we are brothers, and then you just come to your country and kill your brothers. Very, that's very logical. <laughs> That's Putin. Uh, he hates this idea. It's true. We had a lot in common. I mm -hmm. mean, we are, we had a history that united us. Uh, that's true because we are neighboring countries. It's always like that. Uh, you can't avoid that. Uh, also, actually, Ukraine was a colony of Russia. Russia Russian Empire colonized Ukraine, mm -hmm. but we still we always had these uh, people fighting for our independence at different stage of our stages of our history. Mm -hmm. uh, I mean, if they fought, if if they wanted to be independent from Russian Empire, it means they had different identity. Mm -hmm. uh, so he keeps saying that he will keep saying that because he has this imperialistic way of thinking mm -hmm. of I'm here, the center is Moscow and you Ukrainians, the same with people of Belarus, which is another neighboring country where put, uh, a country which Putin uses right now uh, to fight against Ukraine and he also invades Ukraine from there, from the north mm -hmm. uh, of Belarus and I think he thinks that, like that about all post-Soviet countries, except for a few that are already part of the European Union. Uh, he is a KGB man. I think he also learned a lot of Soviet propaga propaganda there. Mm -hmm. He, that's, yes, that's the way he, th he thinks, but I think through our history, we proved, people will prove the world that we are not the same nation, first, and second, 
uh, we are not brothers because you don't kill your brother. And I just can't get it. Well, in the I'm the reserve and, and arguably to, to some extent, right, there there is the filtration of it. I'm sure not everything is, is kind and positive around the the capture um, you know of of soldiers in war. Uh, but for the time being, I mean, you look at things like the appeal of, um, you know, of Zelensky directly to Russian mothers. Yes. Right. Um, the the idea that, you know, when when a soldier is captured, you know, that, that they're being given some level of humane treatment Definitely. And, and trying to build that bridge back to their home and say, mother, ask for your son to come come back. Right. That that. You know that there's there's at least some sort of civility in the treatment of Ukrainians to Russians in this sense, because even if you're going to be my enemy now, I'm at least going to give you a chance to be human on the way out, which I yes. think is a more than gracious position. Yes, I am proud of America. Uh, excuse me, of Ukrainian yeah. army. And of President Zelensky, our Ministry of Defense, how they treat uh, Russian soldiers, because actually th there is still international law there. You can't yeah. uh, humiliate uh, people whom you captured. Yeah. Uh, but I'm also impressed by Putin again. So, you know, I'm telling myself, okay, I know he's a monster. There is nothing worse he can do. But then he keeps doing that. What, I mean, what do I mean? I mean that... Uh, according to our ministry, there were already already nine thousand uh, Russian soldiers were killed. Mm -hmm. So first, Russians deny that they say there were just five hundred. Okay, let's not discuss numbers. But they are not coming back to. They are not taking them back. They mm -hmm. don't want. Uh, I know there was in press they saying they don't want to scare people. So if they bring nine thousand dead bodies to Russia, of course people will be scared. And then would happen what you said. Mothers would go to protest to stop the war. They're scared. But what's going on? Those bodies are lying down, lay down somewhere there in fields. Now Ukrainian asked the Red, the Red Cross, please come. With, we, I mean, we can't do that right now. We yeah. can't deal with your bodies right now. They asked Red Cross, please talk to Russia and talk to somewhere in some, someone in Russia. Ask them to take their bodies back. They say, no, we're not going to do that. They just they sent those soldiers. And if you saw in news, a lot of them are just young, young. Oh They're children. Young boys. They're children. They send them there. They don't give them enough water, food. And then mm -hmm. they go to Ukrainians and asking for food. Russian soldiers, yeah. invaders, they ask people to give them food. And they, they even don't want to take their bodies. What kind of a nation, what kind of, I don't know, a leader is that? What kind, I mean, military people? Why do, I, I can't, like, I can't understand what's going on in their heads. This is so embarrassing. And yes, we are doing a step further. Oh, I mean, Ukrainian, Ukrainian government, they, they talk, they try to talk to them, they yeah. try to do something, and they treat Russian soldiers, I mean, well from that what, what as good as you can for somebody who is coming in and, and indiscriminately shelling entire cities and civilian populations yeah I mean that's that's as that's as kind as you can put it in, in that sense I mean I, I've seen 
I've seen the the videos with expired rations, right? Mm -hmm. That are that are over five years expired being sent out into the field, right? It's it's more than just uh, oh well, we're just you know they're they're just deserting and and what have you. They're they're wholly they're wholly unprepared because the idea of of Putin was that oh this is this is two weeks. I'll march in, I will take over, and and that's that. Yeah. Right. And and uh, completely completely unprepared for for uh, you know a people spirit that is that is there. Um, and here here we go back again to this idea that he thinks we are one nation, and I think that was his idea. He thought we are one nation, and Ukrainians will be glad to welcome us to yeah. see us there, and they will help their soldiers. But excuse me, so you're dropping bombs and then saying, please welcome us? Yeah. That's not how I, I, I understand hospitality. Well, I mean, <laughs> the Ukrainian humor. It helps us a lot. Oh, my God. There are so many memes <laughs> right there. You know, it's, it is. So I've, I've, I, read, I read early on, uh, just started to, to read about Odessa. And mm -hmm. and Odessa is as a as a place of of you know humor through the yes. ages. Yes. Um, and what 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 was it that I that I saw? Somebody said, "Oh well, what is it is it true that people in Odessa only answer questions with questions?" That's a joke. Yes. <laughs> the the loose translation. Right? Yeah. Who told you that? Right, and that that feels very classical Abbott and Costello um, uh, in, in here in the states kind of kind of vaudeville slapstick uh, comedy feel, and it's just it's very it's just like wow, right? What what are what are the important components, uh, you know, not just of of you know Ukrainian uh, you know nationality, but but the idea of humanity in general. Right. And it, and it really puts on display how important humor is in uh, just the, the human existence. Right. That even in the throes of war, that the way to manage through that is to have some kind of spirit about it. Yeah, it's it's a black humor right now, but I think it helps. Yesterday, I watched a Ukrainian, a famous Ukrainian comedian on our TV, and he said the same things. Ple he he uh, referred to celebrities, Ukrainian celebrities. He said, please, stop crying. If you want to cry, go somewhere there, cry, don't record it, don't post it on social media. We yeah. need humor right now. That's that's what can help us. And he made, made jokes, jokes about Russians, but I agree. I mean, uh, what I observe now, so it's been more than a week, people are fighting, people, it's difficult to, you know, to be always positive, believing yeah. in your victory, people start losing this uh, positive, uh, uh, positive way of thinking, uh, thinking. So I think humor comes here right now and helps us to move further. Sometimes it's dirty jokes. It's <laughs> I mean it's difficult to process, but it really helps. And sometimes I'm just on my face Facebook, which is more, which is used like Twitter in Ukraine. Uh -huh. And people post jokes and like, oh my god, you still have power. You still you still are able to joke. I mean. We are doing okay. We are doing okay if you are still joking. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's you know, it's not to downplay the the severity of you know physical consequences and and death and destruction and the reality of war. 
but what is morale if not some sort of happiness, right? That you can't sit here on one hand and say, oh, well, Ukraine has great morale right now and then not also acknowledge that that morale has to come from somewhere, right? That despair is not what develops morale uh, in a particular sense. Yes. Uh, I think people try to help themselves different ways they can. First way is anger and hate, like it or not. Please yeah. forgive us for that. But for, I, th- I think for most, not for all, but m- for most people, hate and anger is something that help, that help people right now. Hate, hating your enemy. It's not something that God taught us, but it helps when you may die tomorrow or even today. Yeah. This anger helps. And then there are definitely some positive, uh, positivity, as you mentioned, uh, your optimism, your your belief in your army, uh, in strengths of the army, being brave yourself, doing some small things but helping your nation, and humor, l- least but not last, last last but not least. Uh, you got it. Yeah. yeah. Sorry. Uh, Sorry. No, you, you looked at me for a second. You were like, why are you smiling? Are you smiling because I got it wrong or smiling because I got yes. it right? So, I was <laughs> this whole situation, I, uh, in this whole situation, I need time to process things. Yeah, so. absolutely. But humor, yeah, it helps. No, you're, I mean, but you're, you've got a very fluid thought process. I mean, it's very, it's very evident. I don't know how, how many languages do you speak? Uh, like fluently three. Okay. And then, I mean, just, just to, to think, right, the, the old, the old uh, you know, joke here is what do you call somebody who speaks three languages trilingual? What do you call somebody who speaks two languages bilingual? What do you call somebody who speaks one language American? That's, yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's funny. I am a shiny example of that. Of, of all of the resources and, and access, um, you know, to, to opportunities to learn languages that were not English, um, I failed to do anything. But then my, uh, you know, my good friend, uh, Rep, he's world-traveled individual who speaks uh, English, speaks Russian, speaks other dialects, um, you know, around Russian. And it just comes from, A, having lived uh, in St. Petersburg for a good chunk of his his youth, but also just being willing to go out there and engage in the process of of language learning and and being okay with just doing the bits of stumbling that you have to do Mm. for it to just work out. Right. What's it matter if you get it exactly right? So long as somebody understands your intent. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I mean, we need language to understand each other. Right. Yeah. If you can understand me, I'm doing well. Yeah, exactly. You, you've nailed it. <laughs> um, what, what was what have you have you learned English or have you spoken or, or um, you know, engaged with with English since a young age? Or is it something that you picked up uh, later uh, in, in life or? So we have a little bit different uh, way of schooling in Ukraine. Mm-hmm. Most of the classes you have, they are obligatory. They are required. You need to take them. Uh-huh. And like it or not, English is one of them. Yeah. So I had it from the second, de- uh, second grade. Mm-hmm. And now the English is required from the first grade. So when you're a small kiddo, you just start your school. You start learning English. Yeah. Then you have it in your, in your university. Uh, and then, I mean... I came here, <laughs> I learned <laughs> a few new words. So it's, I mean, it's obligatory. Yeah. Well, so, I mean, there's, there's in, in terms of, 
you know, just the, the communication gap uh, in this instance is not the same as it may be for, for a lot of Americans who would otherwise look at a world event and say, oh, well, because I can't, because they can't, because these people can't communicate to me, I don't have to care as much. It's a pretty, mm. yeah. you know, thought that, that exists there, but simply because of uh, it being part of uh, an educational requirement from a young age. But you know what, what I found interesting here? When I went to, fl when I went to Florida, I mm -hmm. saw a lot of people speak Spanish. I had this feeling that all people are bilingual there. Uh -huh. It's, I think it depends where you live and yeah. depends where you need the language. For example, I also, the other language I learned is Italian, but now I don't speak a lot, so I'm not fluent in that anymore. If uh -huh. you need the language, if you need a language, if you in this, uh, if you if you interact with these people, you yep. can't survive without that. You will learn it. It's it's. I mean, we learn a lot of abilities through our lives. Yeah. And uh, life, and I think language is just one of them. So, don't say bad things about Americans. A lot <laughs> of them know <laughs> more than one language. No, that's fair. That's fair. That's fair. I do. I do too much shouldering of the of the thought of our part of America and some of our struggles with picking up. Uh, more than more than one language, but as you say, you know it's not as necessitated yeah. uh, in our everyday life. So it's a skill that may just go by the wayside for for sake of uh, for sake of other skills. Um, the uh, where where all have your travels taken you to? You talked about uh, you know has has there been a point in time where you've where you've spent time in Italy where you've been able to use the language and and where else have because I mean Fulbright scholars. Right, a big part of being a Fulbright scholar is already having some components of being traveled, yeah. just because that helps better qualify you, knowing that you can navigate a space that uh, is otherwise, you know, uh, completely unknown to you. There is one good things living in Europe, mm -hmm. uh, not one, two good things. That's what I meant. Uh, living uh, about only living two. That's it, Europe. You heard it. No, I'm just <laughs> <laughs> I mean about traveling. There you so go. <laughs> first thing that Europe is comparatively small if uh -huh. you compare it to America. Oh yeah. So I, for example, I was born in Western Ukraine, mm -hmm. and my city is literally on the border with Slovakia, another country. Uh -huh. uh, so it, it takes me just a few hours to cross the border. I mean, there is ch 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 you need to be checked, but. It's everything is very close. It takes you one hour, two hours to fly from my my uh, country to uh, to Paris, and uh -huh. here I need five hours to get to Chicago, right? Yeah. So uh, that's <laughs> that's the first good thing, and the second is. Uh, actually money uh -huh. so i told my friend i showed my friend that hey come here look here you can buy a ticket costing six bucks from kiev to paris how about that so europe <laughs> europe i think did uh, a great job they yeah. have a lot of low low costs uh, yeah. those uh, airlines where you don't pay much and they do a lot of sales so sometimes it's like that yeah. you can uh, you can you need just ten bucks, ten, ten euros. We're speaking about Euro, Europe uh -huh. uh, to fly somewhere between cities. That's something. Uh, I mean, I've never seen it here. It's difficult to find uh, so cheap uh, tickets. Oh yeah. It makes it easier. So of course, I've been to. I visited a lot of countries in Europe. I don't know Spain, Netherlands, Hungary, Italy, Greece. Greece is my favorite country after Ukraine, of course. No, the third one, the second is the United States. Oh, uh, <laughs> you don't have to butter us up. 
you know, we'll, we'll like you either way. It's okay. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, if you live in Europe and if, if you are at least a middle class, you can afford traveling. Also, hotels are mm-hmm. much cheaper than here. When I was a student in Ukraine, I traveled a lot. I mean, I didn't have a lot of money, but I could yeah. travel. Here, I'm a student now. I have a scholarship, a student scholarship. I'm like, okay, I need to... Stay in Carbondale for a few months <laughs> unle- until I can travel the next time. Uh huh. Well, and the 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 you know, I guess the difference in traveling in the states versus traveling in Europe, from what it sounds, I have no experience. I'd have to refer to rep uh, on that component. Is the uh, that there's a little bit more process if you have to to get through things if you're just traveling from country to country, but that the expense is not there. Where here, there may be expense, but the travel across states and throughout the United States is just kind of wide open. And go ahead, sorry. That's not true, because there is visa, visa-free regime uh, uh-huh. in in United States, uh-huh. inside the countries, and now we Ukrainians also have a visa-free regime with them. So uh, if you're going with your car, it, it may take... Uh, it takes time, uh-huh. but uh, I mean, you don't need anything. It, if you're flying, it's also it's. I mean, it's like here you go. You, uh, they just you, you do security checking, check, and that's it. In and out. That's phenomenal. That's phenomenal. So anyway, traveling in Europe is easier. <laughs> sorry, sorry, I didn't make it. To, didn't mean to make it sound as if it were a were an extensively difficult thing, especially for when you're when you're actually living there. <laughs> um. Ah, oh, this is this is phenomenal. I, 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 the um, was there? Did you always have a? Have you have you had a natural interest in travel? It's just you know, and and I was reading. It was it was uh, I, I think maybe a trucker from the UK online talking about uh, just being surprised at um, you know Americans' uh, just lack of time in general that they're afforded to go do things right. So whereas a trucker in 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 the uk may say you know i'm getting up you know, i've got a month off uh, a year i have to go on holiday i have yeah. to go somewhere and experience something and that's something that we don't really have so much yes. in this country that our that our simple lust for travel is is gobbled up by uh you know a, a lack of of time away from our tasks our work our whatever <laughs> yeah I, I think it comes to the whole american culture so i have an american boyfriend and mm-hmm. he told me that he never traveled so to so many places until he met me and <laughs> he didn't he hasn't visited so many states uh-huh. before and like um okay you're 20 28 years old and you you went just to two states in america uh-huh. like uh yeah i was surprised but uh I think, again, I see two things here. First, uh, it's American culture. It's culture of work. Yeah. You really appreciate work. You, I know you like working. I don't know that appreciates the word forced to do work. Yes, that's my point. (laughs) I mean, it comes that uh, life here is very expensive. You need to work all the time. You don't have this... uh, work-life balance yeah. that's what i observed but europeans are very tough on that so, see some countries turn into four days work yeah. w- work week yeah uh, and they travel a lot uh yes i agree with you uh so i think some people 
are just working. Others, maybe again, traveling, it's not in the culture. People just don't see sense in that. Yeah. I don't know how to explain it, but yeah, so wherever I have a few bucks somewhere in my savings, I, uh, I try to travel because I think it's the way uh, to see, to understand the world. Uh, I learned so much from traveling. You, you, you will never learn it from just watching news or reading. Yeah. I th yeah, I mean, I would like to spend my entire life just traveling if I, <laughs> if I had a chance. Oh, you're going to take that journalism experience and become a travel blogger. No, that's hot. I was thinking about that. <laughs> you're like, what, 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 how wonderful it would be if I could just turn in all of my moral sensibilities and just go mm. rest in different nice chateaus around the around the world. But, um, you know, you've got, you've got more, I don't know, you find yourself as having more purpose than, than the easy stuff in life. Yeah. That's an open question. <laughs> I'm sorry. That's, I can see that. <laughs> you're like, I, I guess I do. I got to have a little, a little bit of, uh, of interest and purpose. How, uh, did you, did you meet your boyfriend here in Carbondale or did you, is he from elsewhere or? From I, elsewhere. I, it, he, he lives in New York. Oh, wow. Okay. So that's, so that's a hike. So how, um, how does, how is that working just here? Has he traveled to Carbondale? Have you traveled back to him? Or okay, guys. you're like, listen, I don't want to deal with this stuff right now. No. Guys, no offense, but uh, I invited him once. Uh -huh. He came here once. And he was like, I'm good. Yes. <laughs> yes. He said, I'm not coming back. <laughs> no offense, guys. But, you know, I discussed... I discussed that with him. I found it very interesting. He said that he feels uncomfortable wherever there are no uh, uh, tall, uh, high buildings. Uh -huh. He can't, like, he feels like something is off when you just have uh, Not houses. Buildings. Yeah, houses, <laughs> not, not apartments. Uh, is it, so does he live in New York City? Or, okay, that, you know, that's, and that's so interesting to, to me, right, is even, even that, that rural metropolitan divide yeah. In, in the United States and, and people's comfort zone. Because, again, it's just like, oh, okay, well, there's, you know, there, there's such different landscape and the, and the difference between, uh, you know, people's just comforts. Being so, surrounded by, my gosh, concrete versus trees. <laughs> yeah. And sometimes also difference, differences in language. Again, mm -hmm. he told me that he, it's, he has difficulty uh, with understanding people from some areas, some accents. And i like, oh, but like, it's one country. <laughs> no, that's so, that's so very true. Uh, you know, and even you know, we, we, we too often look down on folks for the way that they speak English in this country. But the reality is that, that, that there is such a variation of language across yeah. all geographies. It's just like, get, get over it folks. So long as people are decent to you, just be decent. Like I don't have to speak just like you speak. <laughs> yeah. But so my first shock was when I went to Tennessee uh -huh. and like, a guy told me something and I literally understand zero words. Uh -huh. Like, what's going on? <laughs> uh, did you ultimately get it figured out or did it take a, a yeah. additional translator no, from, no, no, that from English to, to English to Southern English? No, <laughs> sorry. I think then I got the idea because uh, of the whole convers conversation, but like, yeah. <laughs> it's difficult. Uh, that's phenomenal. Have, is it, has it been relatively manageable navigating uh, Carbondale so far in, in terms of 
just being able to communicate with folks are our is our dialect digestible, I guess, is what yeah, I'm asking. Yeah, very, very digestible <laughs> comparing to Tennessee. <laughs> uh oh, we've just caused an international incident with Tennessee. I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. No, no I like I like Nashville. It's great. Uh, the um, wait. So you you said Greece is you know third favorite. We'll accept it as second favorite. Still, that's okay. that's cool. But yeah, um, what uh, what have your experiences been like? I mean, is there? I, I guess. Uh, let me rewind a little bit here. In terms of uh, more living uh, rather than just um, kind of the short-term visits, I mean, you know, you've, you've talked about studying in Moscow. Um, you know, are there, are there other places that stand out where you've gotten to do more than just visit but really live uh, that are some places that you feel like you've carried with you, um, you know, as you've, as you've continued to grow as a person mm -hmm. professionally and, and uh, in academia? I mean, for now... I like, at least I liked, now I'm not sure it's, I'm in mood of traveling, but I like traveling here. Uh, and I was also surprised that America is so different from state to state. I didn't yeah. expect that. Sometimes it feels like I'm traveling through Europe, through different countries. Yeah. I mean, I went to Texas and then to Florida, which are nearby, but completely <laughs> different worlds, right? Uh-huh. And then my favorite, I think my favorite city, I should say city because it's not a state, is D.C. Uh -huh. I felt very comfortable. If I have a chance to choose, I would like to live there. Yeah. But I, I like this. I like this about traveling in America, living in America, that you can just move to the, another state and you have a totally different life, a totally different experience, a totally different food uh, mm -hmm. The way people speak, yeah. the way the way people engage, and I think it's very cool about America. America thanks you. No. Welcome. <laughs> oh my gosh, I'm trying to think. No, I, I, this is this is good exploratory side of things. Um, are you still are you still close with with family? I know you had talked about kind of family being, um, you know, being having its ups and downs, uh, and and some very you know, some very intense stories within family, but do you still have a, a familiar relationship? Uh, with my family? Yeah. Of course, of course. I mean, you see the situation. I'm in touch with them every day. I check my sister every hour. We don't know what happens next. We don't yeah. know which cities Putin chooses to bomb next. It's like you live in this complete, complete house and chaos, and you don't know what happens tomorrow but you also don't know what happens in an hour yeah the um just the the very the very real prospects of what what happens next you know i i mean i i, I the 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 permanence of story kind of cycling back to that that you know, you understand that the stories that are the individual stories in which you're engaged in right now are, are represented across an entire society of peoples, right? That, that the stories that you're having back and forth in chats with friends and, and family and, and all sorts of connections, right, is representative of what 44 is it 44 million give or take or i mean 40 i think so okay um 40 million people 
are going through right now. And I just, I appreciate the, I don't know, under, understanding the value of that story. I mean, just what, watching so many people at, at once understand the value of their own story. Like they can't, they can't just go out there and, and, you know, fight a quiet fight right that that it's not just oh well it's just ours to bear that it becomes everybody's to bear when it becomes visible yeah that visibility is important that's why i appreciate you doing this and just being comfortable sharing your your stories and your feelings with folks Definitely so many stories there, and sometimes I even don't know where to start. I mean, I have friends who joined the military, and, like, they were journalists. They were teachers yesterday, and today they're soldiers. It feels like everyone is involved, and those people who can't fight, they volunteer, they help refugees, they help people in need. And I've seen on my social media that people post all, all the time, there is uh, an old granny living in our apartment, she's alone, she, she can't go for shopping, and the next minute someone, someone commands, I'm in, I'm coming, just give me the address, I will deliver fruit. It's, it's, it's something that, that really impressed me. People are united, and... I hope that no one is left alone right there. People help each other. People support each other. I mean, it's a very bad situation, but it's there, there is so much great things I see these days about Ukrainians. And how do you feel about your responsibility now? I know we touched on it a, a little bit, but, um, I mean, you're... you're, you're you're not just sitting idle and observing. You're you're taking the actions. You're you're working. Uh, you talked about. You said it was Jen. Your uh, Jen Thompson, um, who's kind of helping you you do this. But I mean, really, obviously, you have to take your own charge in your own life to to do these things. Um, you know how 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 has being able to to, to find actions to follow through on helped you to navigate this process in only a weekend of what we don't know will be, you know, we, we, how, how long the war itself, but rebuilding following, right? And, and I'm rambling at this point. I apologize. I'm just processing through myself as I, as I think here, but how, um, you know, how you find uh, your your work now to be your commitment to the cause as a, as a whole, to, you know, to a glorious Ukraine. This is something that helps me to hold on and to keep going because, like, most, like, Ukrainians, Ukrainians now, what they're doing, if they have a free minute, they read news, and that's, what I am doing here, I'm constantly reading news, and this is also a distraction, but my way to help, to do some, some, something very small, but to do something here, it's, it's, I would say it's my way not to go crazy, 
it's 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 stressful to live and to read this in news and checking the news every minute saying if your city if your town if uh, was bombed right now is this that apartment where my aunt lives so i think this doing something here helps me to to move to move on and to stay mentally more stable mm -hmm. and i was thinking what i can do i see two ways for me being here and help my nation first of all doing what i'm doing right now mm -hmm. to speak out to tell what's going on and to be this ambassador again uh, and to to share with you stories that I heard myself. And second, what I'm trying to do to do fundraising, Ukraine is not the richest country in the world. Mm -hmm. And all we had now, we spent for the military, for war, and definitely we, we will be running out of money soon also every war i don't know if you can name any war that hasn't led to humanitarian catastrophe mm -hmm. that's what's going on in ukraine right now it's i mean it's getting worse and worse every day uh, there are no food in grocery stores not because we are running of food a lot of countries also sending them but they russians are constantly bombing cities sometimes it's not it's not uh, impo it's not possible to deliver mm -hmm. the f to deliver food to stores so i'm asking myself what people will do when there is no food in stores definitely there will be no money very soon war costs a lot mm -hmm. a lot so i will i would like to help with fundraising i know there are a lot of funds help in Ukraine, but there are also funds established by my friends. Mm -hmm. uh, and I know they told me that they need money. A lot of them had work, as I mentioned yesterday. Okay, not yesterday, eight, eight days mm -hmm. ago. But now they don't. And they don't know how to help those people in need. They were helping. And they asked me also to do fundraising here. And I hope I will do that. Well, and I think this is you know, one of those first steps. Um, you know, I, I you know I hadn't I hadn't thought about this as as part of a, a possible outcome of our conversation, but I think it's very reasonable that, um, you know, we we work to get you connected with some of the folks because one one of the things right that that <laughs> in in a uh, uh, in 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 an in the culture of American charity. Um, and you know benevolent giving and all all that fun stuff right that there is there's kind of two two sides to it there is there is the side where people feel as if they are simply giving to an organization and handing off the you know the means of their money to a large studious institution that will gather it and, and work it out or there is the other side where they feel as if they are giving directly to folks who are are impacted through the the crisis uh that's that's being experienced so i think that your you're going the right direction in terms of, you know, well, well, how, how do I help? Okay. I can, I can fundraise on an individual basis and be able to, to point this money, um, back to folks and, and build that relationship between a community of people here who, who can and want to help in some way, shape or form 
uh, as well as uh, you know the the folks who actually need the help uh, you know in Ukraine right now. Yeah. So I think you're I think you're taking the right the right steps and, and looking at it the right way. Thank you for helping me spreading my ideas and also needs of my people. Yeah, no, absolutely. And I thank you for being comfortable coming here and 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 sharing them uh, for <sighs> episode 100 of the WTF Carbondale podcast. Um, very meaningful. There will be information uh, below wherever this is posted um, for information uh, about, uh, and, and again, I'm sorry, I'm just, uh, Deanna, thank you. And, just, and, and not Alfina, even if I'm wrong in my pronunciations. Uh, I'm, I'm just real self-conscious about the way that I pronounce people's names. I apologize. That's okay. <laughs> um, but for Deanna's friends, um, for the folks that, that you can follow and, and get a, a, get a story, uh, a, a live story in, in real time, uh, as well as, as the folks that need the help and, and how, uh, you can contribute to, to help them. So that's, uh, episode 100 of the WTF Carbondale podcast. Please take time to, uh, read the, the post and look for, uh, the different pertinent pieces of information here. Um, and this time folks, uh, I don't even know if the sign-off feels right, but it is where it is. So have, have a good one in whatever way that you can.